Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanica. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be a Better Investor podcast. My name is Rijk van Niekerk and in this podcast series I speak to leading South African professional investors about their investments and we also take a peek into how they approach personal investments. We try to understand how they analyze investment opportunities, what shares and asset classes they invest in and whether they have more hits than misses. And the idea is to identify a few golden nuggets of wisdom to help amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Mike Atsitz. He is the Chief Investment Officer of Momentum Investments. He has just been appointed in that role, but he has been in the business for many, many years. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Tell us a bit about your background. Where did you grow up and when were you first exposed to investments? Thanks, Rick, and thanks for having me on your podcast. And thank you to the listeners. It's always a pleasure to get out there and be heard. So just some background quick. I was born in Ferenigen, so I've been in and around all the little dorpies, Ferenigen, Potchefstroom. I had a little stint in Fernstadt. And when I went to university, I went to Wits University. It was the first time I came to a big city. And I've been between Joburg and Pretoria ever since then. In terms of my background, I actually did a degree in chemistry and applied maths. I did an honors in chemistry and started working as a computer programmer for a company called All Things Digital and then went on to Southern Healthcare. And through the process, I sort of seen this other world. It was the business world. I'd come up in the scientific space and, you know, economy started getting me interested. My big switchover came. I joined Alexander Forbes, did an MBA, and over time just moved around the organization, started in risk services, went to financial services, became an asset consultant jumped across to Advantage Asset Managers, which was the predecessor of the company that I've been in now, realized with FaZe that I needed to up my credentials. So after doing an MBA, I did my CFA, and I've been in Momentum, and that's kind of who I am and where I'm coming from. So when were you first exposed to investments? Because there's a big difference between the business world and, you know, taking a decision to build a career in the professional or the asset management industry. I joined Alexander Forbes Asset Consultants as a junior consultant while I was doing my MBA. So it was an opportunity that came up at Alexander Forbes. And it was there that I started getting exposure to funds, to the industry, to investments, investment strategies. And over time, I realized that I didn't want to be a referee and consultants tended to be referees. I wanted to be a player. And as a consequence of that, when an opportunity came up to join an asset manager, I jumped at the opportunity, first on the marketing and distribution sales side. And over time, moving closer and closer, every opportunity closer to the investment markets. And yeah, so 15 years at Momentum, the most of that has been in investments and the management of 
investments and investment teams over the last 12 years or so. So it has been quite a journey. Can you remember what the very, very first share was you bought and when was it? So when I think about my investment side, I invest in the funds that we invest in. It comes down to a belief system. So, you know, I want to have exposure that my clients and investors have investments in. So I've always kind of approached it from when I get an opportunity, whether it's through the retirement fund or through unit trust, I followed that avenue for the first reason that I want to have the same experience as clients have experience. And most of my personal wealth is invested in funds that are managed by the team. But there's two other important reasons. I mean, to do investments properly, you'd need to take a lot of time, you know, and you want to have consistency and alignment between your professional space. And in my case, my private space is the one aspect of it. And the second one that I think is really underrated is the tax consequences and tax management around personal investments. So everything I've done from an investment perspective has always been in the realm of how do I minimize my tax threshold? How do I minimize the costs that I can pay on those? And that's more or less how I take it out. So that's been my approach. And effectively, it's been within a retirement fund. Your company retirement fund is by far the cheapest investment and most tax advantaged investment that you get into. So I've always been invested in an aggressive growth strategy and I've maximized my contribution rates, my pensionable salary. Then the next step was tax-free savings. So you maximize that out. And then it was the unit trust space. And why I like unit trusts relative to individual share investing is basically the capital gains perspective. So on the retirement fund side, I'm invested in active managers. In my personal capacity, I've invested passively. And the reason I've invested passively is because the passive fees in the unit trust space comes at a significant discount relative to active fees. It's a very conservative approach. I speak to many portfolio managers, fund managers, so-called professional investors, and many believe that the funds they manage have a different risk profile, the risk they are willing to take because it's in their personal capacity. And it seems like you are more focused on tax and fees and to minimize risk. So the risk I take is equity risk. So I maximize the risk I can take on at an asset class level. So that's the one perspective. And the funds that I invest in have 80, 85% growth exposure. So from that perspective, it is the most risky of the portfolios in the portfolio suite that we manage in the business. They are take risk. What I'm not that comfortable doing is I'm a big believer in diversification, so I do not want to take idiosyncratic risk. So I'd rather have a more diversified exposure to stocks than try and take a big punt on what I hope is the next 10 bagger. So, you know, that's the 10x return. So for me, I've been very happy with my returns over the years. And, you know, it's really been about diversification, maximizing growth asset class exposure and being mindful, I wouldn't say that my perspective on tax and fees is my primary perspective. My first perspective is on asset allocation. 
those are important considerations for me. So I would assume there are no hedge funds, derivatives, trading, even crypto, you know, as part of your wealth building strategy? Yes, they are. I've got exposure to hedge funds. I've got exposure to infrastructure. So the funds that I've selected are the riskier in the the portfolios that we manage. And we manage a broad suite from extremely aggressive. I would not think that a 85% exposure to growth assets is not a risky exposure. So, yeah, that's kind of how I've done it. Where I've not ventured is cryptocurrencies because I don't understand them. You know, currency is a medium of exchange. And for me, I cannot understand what the underpin of the value of a cryptocurrency is. I think the technology and the intent behind it is phenomenal, but there's no rational basis for its valuation with the exception of speculation and sentiment. So I seriously avoid cryptocurrency. But many young professionals, people entering the business world, starting to earn a salary. They are obviously in many cases forced to belong to a pension fund and they take out a retirement annuity if they don't. But then they also want to get some flesh in the game or have flesh in the game and opening up trading accounts and they would try, will start to invest in shares. Sometimes with small amounts, you can through services like Easy Equities, buy fractions of shares, and they would start a wealth-building journey. What advice would you have for them? So I think the two is, and I think that's a very good strategy. That's a sensible approach. Ultimately, wealth-building is a very long-term game, and the earlier you start, the better it's going to be. So what is my advice? You've got to make a decision up front. Do you want to be an active participant in the market? And if you want to be an active participant, you need to spend the hours and the due diligence and you need to understand what you invest in. And you need to understand the mental accounting perspective in the different parts of your personal assets. So have you got different buckets and what are you prepared to do with those different buckets? Do your homework and invest accordingly. Understand that the more risk you take in the market, There's no guarantee that risk pays off. You know, higher risk, higher return, higher risk potential for higher return. And if there's a mismatch in terms of your expectations or your timeframes, it can be unrewarded. So be mindful of that. So the first choice choice is, am I an active participant? The second choice is, do I want advice? You know, do I go to a stockbroker? Do I get a financial advisor to help me? And that's where I'm not prepared to spend as much time investing in what I do. And that's the second way to go. For me, probably the most important advice I'd give to somebody is know what you invested in. Know what the implications of those investments are. Because the one thing that you do not want to be in is a situation where you're taken by surprise. So if you're willing to speculate and you want to invest in Bitcoin or one of the other cryptocurrencies, go in with your eyes open. You know, don't bet the house, diversify your portfolio, but also understand that as much as cryptocurrencies had astronomical returns over time, they've also fallen out of bed on many occasions. You need to have a mouth guard when you invest in crypto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I don't 
think that many retail investors understand risk fully and how to incorporate it into their investment approaches. How do you think retail investors should look at risk and how they should integrate it into their strategy? So I think the first thing you need to think about is what am I actually trying to achieve? What's the purpose of my investments? Am I saving for, because in 20 years time, I want a million rand or a million dollars, whatever. So that's the first thing. What's the purpose? Is it just that I want a little bit of an emergency fund? You know, I'm saving towards a specific goal. So the first question you ask yourself is what's your purpose? Then you ask yourself, how long am I going to give myself to get there? Then you need to get an understanding of, is it possible in terms of uh, your purpose and your time frame to achieve it, because you've got to work within the realm of possibilities. Markets can only give you so much, and you can only dial up the risk to such a degree. You know, you cannot make what the markets don't give you. So that's the first thing. And then you've got to sit down and say, to get to my goal, this is what I need to invest in. Let me look at the downside. You know, am I prepared? To wake up one morning and the markets are down 20 or 30 or 40 percent, how am I going to feel? Am I going to panic? And that becomes, it's an inherent uh, feature of your psychology, you know, whether you can actually stomach that or not. Uh, so for some investors will say, look, yeah, this is an absolutely great opportunity. I'm going to throw more money into the portfolio because, you know, if I thought it was good value yesterday, it's even better value now. Some upsides even higher. You get people that have got that mindset. You've also got other people who think, you know, markets are down this much. They can be down even more. So I'm going to pull the money out of the portfolio. And what we've seen at work with some of the behavioral finance stuff we do, generally people tend to panic and pull their money at precisely the wrong points in the market. The point is you've got to go through the mental framing exercise to say, what am I trying to achieve? How long am I, I going to get there? Is that in the realm of possibility or what portfolio do I need to invest in or what shares do I need to invest in to get there? And if things go wrong, because in markets, things are going to go wrong from time to time, you know, am I going to have the internal fortitude and distance and say, you know, it's okay. You know? But that's very difficult to do because humans are emotional people. Even professional investors sometimes, you know, adjust a strategy from growth to capital preservation during those downturns. It's not easy to do. And that's why the mental exercise up front is important. Years ago, I got my private pilot's license. And, you know, most of the training when you fly an airplane is about what to do when things go wrong. So there's a stack of, they call them standard operating procedures. And the whole point of it is that you're so well prepared when things go wrong, you don't think anymore. And that's for me, the important thing in terms of a, a mental exercise, when you think about your investment strategy, so that you've decided up front, when things go wrong, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult to keep to that, but at least you've kind of laid the foundation in your own mind to say, this can happen, this is how I'm going to react when this happens. Obviously, you know, you can be in that situation and you never ne really know how you're going to 
react in a bad situation or a risk of situation in the market until you get there. But you're going to be far better prepared if you've actually thought about the implications and you've made a conscious decision to say, when this happens, it's okay. You know, I'm just going to stay the course. I'm just not going to be looking at my portfolio value on a daily basis. I'm going to close that spreadsheet and I'll come look at it again in six months' time. And that's the thing. It's not for everyone. So you need to understand what you can live with. Yeah, I think that's an excellent example. The, the training you get to be a pilot, it's always addressing the negatives. And in many ways, investment training focuses on how to identify the positives in a company. Interesting analogy. But just lastly, and this question always elicits a bit of a giggle, what has been the worst investment you have ever made? And I'm not only talking about equities, it can be any asset loss. My worst investment? I'd say building up a property portfolio. Physical property? An experience that I haven't enjoyed, having tenants, you know, was a challenge for me every year when it came to increased time. It was a, a big fight to increase that. And, you know, I think you underestimate the costs and market conditions to sell in a property. So I built up a property portfolio. And after a couple of years, I was like, you know, I've had enough of it. I sold it all. I invested it into the markets, all the proceeds, and now rent, you know, the maintenance and the annual fight for rental increases, I don't do anymore. And the geezer that breaks on a Friday night. And the best one ever? Which one are you the most proud of? I had a big sense of satisfaction. Was in my retirement fund, I actually maxed out my contribution rate. I maxed out my 100% pensionable salary. It's close to 30, I think 27% contribution rate and I could see a material increase in the value year on year you know and to know that I'm well set I've actually got a level of financial stability that was for me the most significant financial event in my life yeah the maximum amount you can invest in a pension fund or in retirement annuity that's 350,000 rand a year is that the 27,000 rand a month you've referred to no, 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 no. 27% contribution rate. So basically, you can invest more than the limit, but you taxed on it. So the fourth portion of your retirement fund contribution is tax-free. And then once you go over the threshold, I think you're right, can't recall offhand what that maximum threshold, you just get taxed at your marginal rate. But what happens is within the pension fund, all the growth, all the interest is tax-free. Yeah, I think the limit is 350, but that is an interesting approach. But Mike, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your insights. Thanks, Ray, and it was a pleasure talking to you. It's an absolute pleasure from my side as well. That was Mike Atsets. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Momentum Investments. Show me the money. That was the Money Web. Be a better investor podcast with Ray for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the MoneyWeb podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.